0: I interrupt today's school run, stroke, commute, stroke, clean in the kitchen again to bring you guitar news, my favorite kind of news. So put down that child train or sponge and imagine you've got one of Fender's, close your eyes, all new American vintage two instruments in your arms. It feels better than that mop, doesn't it? And so it should. Lovingly crafted by the best luthiers, hewn from alder, a nitrocellulose amber maple neck, Finished in a panoply of original colours like Fiesta Red and Sea Foam Green. The sound, here it is. This guitar model built modern music, so it's all in there somewhere, every tone you need. Tone for miles and looks to die for, a bit like me. Oh, bit of tremolo arm action there. See and hear it for yourself at fender.com forward slash the lineup. That's what I was like once. But now I can't even look at carbohydrates without putting a pound on. Mm. But you know what it's like when you get in your fifties. Well you are you in your fifties, oh yet? yeah,
1: boy. Yeah, nearly halfway. I was oh I was fifty four on the twentieth of December.
0: Unbelievable. Mm. On the on the twentieth. Yeah, a okay. couple of days
1: ago. I went to see Avatar
0: what The Way of Water. Fucking loved it. Did you like it? Loved it. I haven't seen the first one.
1: Loved it. It's better than the first one.
0: We're not even started. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna do the introduction. And then away we go. Just
1: what is it that you want to do? We got it. Come on! Here we go.
0: You know, building a music playlist is hard enough, let alone the perfect festival. How you guys doing? But that is exactly what we've asked some of the most fantastic and interesting people I know to do. And the result. One, two, three. It's all lol's backstage festivals, goss, and ridiculously good music recommendations from this point on, really. I'm Sean Keavene, your host, and give it up oh, yeah. for the lineup Around the table with Peter
1: Jackson and Spielberg. And then they said, uh, okay, we need to get this script down by about 40, 50 pages. And Edgar said, Joe's got an idea of how to do it. (laughs) Joe, tell Stephen your idea of how to do it.
0: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let's gather around the wireless, pour another port, throw a log on the fire, and welcome another guest into our health and home, a.k.a the lineup podcast. It's a bit weird that I'll stop doing it. My guest and I, I, I think have got a fair bit in common. We used to work at the same radio stations back in their respective golden eras, but perhaps controversial, I should say that we share an affinity for music, for film, for daftness in general. And while I start, whilst I'm currently attempting to build my own myth as radio's greatest broadcaster, Joe has taken his creativity to Hollywood With admittedly some success, he wrote and directed Attack the Block starring John Boyega and Jodie Whittaker. A decade later, there is a sequel happening. He's given us so much puppetry joy. The kid who would be king. He was behind much of the script for Ant-Man, Spielberg's Tintin movie. And then there's his brilliant creative multi-layer collaborations with Adam Buxton. Despite all this potential ego inflation, he remains a decent bloody bloke. Next up, a shiny, spooky, spectacular Netflix series, Lockwood & Co. Let us welcome to the lineup Joe Cornish.
1: Oh, that was very nice, Sean. Thank you. A very distant audience who are leaving. (laughs) They forgot to. They just remembered to applaud halfway to the tube station. Not many of them either. It's just the amplification of the Northern Line tunnels that make them sound bigger than they are.
0: You remind me of of so many experiences now, especially as an older person, where I'm leaving a, Mm. a really good gig really early because I just can't face being on public transport with 80,000 yes. people. So I don't know if you've ever done that, where you're walking out of, say, a Cure gig, like I was last week, and you're embarrassed to be leaving early. And I have an extra layer of, and this is perhaps just my own hubris, I think, oh, maybe some people know who I am as well. Mm. And, and so I, I'm walking out enthusiastically clapping <laughs> like as I'm walking to the exit. Oh, get in hell. Yes. Go on. Get in the tube. Go on! Love this one! That That's a good
1: technique. Covering all the bases.
0: <laughs> so embarrassing.
1: I would uh, I would make sure to leave with everybody just in case somebody recognised me. <laughs>
0: to, <laughs> oh, to yeah! To
1: maximise the likelihood.
0: Does it happen a lot, though? Uh, actually, we might as well stick, this, stick with this for a moment. Do you go to many gigs these days? And if you do, do you get the odd tap on the shoulder? Oh, I
1: loved you! Uh, z- z- dot, dot, dot. No, I don't go to that many gigs to be honest I went to one the other day but you know during when we were on uh, Six Music and we had that whole call and response thing we had this catchphrase where uh, people would say shout Stephen at us and we would have to reply just coming too complicated to explain the origins but that became quite a curse like I went to see uh, ABC perform The Lexicon of Love with Anne Dudley at the Royal Albert Hall, and that's one of my favourite albums as a kid. I know every word, and that was marred by constant (laughs) shouts of Stephen to the extent that I think Martin (laughs) Fry might have been a little bit like, what the fuck is going on? And similarly, a Fleet Foxes gig I went to. Oh, a quiet gig as well. Yeah, was marred by shouts of Stephen. So in the end, I thought, well, I just better not go to gigs because my presence is ruining it. (laughs) You know, but on, you know, not to be, it was also very exciting and flattering that people would uh, do that, but it was surreal.
0: We've got much to unpack there as well as the film stuff. We've we've got to talk a little bit about yourself and Adam and the the radio shows and the podcast. Incidentally, I was listening to one the other day and it was, uh, I think, around the time that uh, Kate and Wills got married. I think it was 2011 and it was quite sweet because Adam was asking you what you should wear to the Attack the Block premiere. Oh. But you also have this really interesting chat at the beginning of the podcast where you're talking about how, essentially how niche, something like your, the world that you guys created together, a little bit like a, the world I created on BBC Radio 6 Music as well. Mm. But when you do that with your listeners, you mentioned this on, on the podcast, it can be sometimes to the exclusion of, of, of other people. You know, people who are just passively listening might think, what the is this all about? But I, I actually am very much attracted to that idea of making things absurd, but repeating them so many times that they become like Stephen, like Buckles, like anything, like Text the Nation or whatever it is. It just becomes part of the fabric.
1: Yeah, I think that's maybe a a thing that's a little bit unique to radio just because of the regularity of it and how intimate it is as a medium. I don't know. But I like that kind of thing as well. Like, um, I think the kind of recognition where you are in people's faces or ears... When they don't want you to be, necessarily, is not a great type of fame. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know the you know the person whether yeah. you like them or not, yeah. and that's like right. a certain percentage of people love you. To a, to another large constituent, you're an irritant. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which I'm sure we were to some people, but you know, a show like ours, you 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 like it or you don't listen. Yeah. Really, that was the same with our TV show, and that's a nice it's a nice place to be because when people come up to you, it's usually yeah. to be nice, not to tell you to
0: fuck off that's right it's not you feel to some degree am i allowed to swear on this oh fuck yeah good you are to some degree to feel sorry for phil and holly for instance who have inserted themselves Mm -hmm. uh, so deeply into the eyeball sockets of the (laughs) nation that they could be considered by some a bit of an irritant but not entirely all their fault let's not get on the queue um, I don't say this very often on this podcast But I have been in one of your films
1: You have, yeah, thank you for doing that You're on the radio at the beginning of The Kid Who Would Be King And you were very obliging You came down, I don't know what sort of a big money deal we did with you I wasn't
0: I wasn't <laughs> caught up in those cogs But um, I, you came down and you did a really, really good job It was terrifying It was so lovely of you to be asked And, and I feel in some way sort of immortalised on celluloid mm. But I will quickly tell you that I was so excited to be part of it and uh, I assumed that my children would be uh, equally excited. But it just goes to show how unimpressed kids are these days, especially mm. mine, because they actually went with their friends. Mm. And uh, I went to go and pick them up afterwards. And I said, well, what did you think of it? Loved it. Brilliant. Great film. Uh, did you uh, know anything particular about it? <laughs> no. What are, you, what are you talking about? You're being weird, Dad. Well, I, I was in it. You know. Yeah, I know. So, you noticed, but you weren't that impressed. Well, it was all right.
1: Well, they just assume you're the kind of media maven that glides between different art forms. Thanks, mate. It's nothing new. Plus, I'm not sure how prominent you were in the mix in the end. That's true, actually.
0: (laughs) Could have been. (laughs) Because one of the terrible things about
1: about mixing films is you, you stick everything in. Everybody wants to own the movie, right? So the, the sound effects people are trying to tell the story. The sound, the score is mm. trying to tell the story. The dialogue and effects are trying to tell the story. And when you get into the mix, it's like being on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. you got the Foley artist there, the the music guy there. And you have to decide who's, you know, which what gets hand is, Yeah, what gets prominence, what is the best... Yeah way to tell the story at that point so I think we've got the sound of the street the sound of the radio the sound of the theme tune and I don't I can't actually remember the degree (laughs) to which the radio punched through in the final analysis
0: when you do the 20th anniversary edition if you could do like a special DVD extra mix where I'm just right at the top of that mix it would be very helpful to me let's get to the business of this fantasy festival everybody knows what this is all about now all you have to do is is give us five artists, living or dead, and you know you can play with that as well. You can have people collaborate, and you can do whatever you want. We have, we have to put it somewhere. Where, where could we place this festival? Five artists.
1: Didn't get miss that?
0: No, no. I I mean, you can thought, get, you can put more in. You I can thought put I could have in.
1: five like acts because I was going a bit. I think five
0: acts, yeah. and I can have whoever collaborating I want. And also, you can do things like if it occurs to you, you can have uh, oh, and you know. Let's have Nelson Mandela introducing the next actor, or whatever. You know, you can. Really? Yeah, you can really oh, mix it up. See how you feel as it goes on. Well,
1: okay. So some of this is going to be premeditated. Some of this I've thought about. Some of it's going to be instinctive because I haven't thought about it. That's nice. So I'm (laughs) I'm going to choose a venue. I haven't thought massively about the venue. And I'm vacillating already between like, I think the best gig, one of the best gigs I ever saw was a soul musician called Raphael Sadiq. Have you heard of Raphael Sadiq? So he came up via Prince. He was the bass player for Prince. He won a bunch of Grammys. He's like five or six incredible sort of soul funk albums. Um, Now I think he's been sucked into the world of Marvel. I think he writes scores for Marvel, yeah. But he's a genius. And he played at the Jazz Café, with quite a big band maybe about 12 or 13 musicians on stage horn section vocal section like like one of those gigs where they actually reproduce the sound of the record yeah. with every instrument okay. present and you know he was an hour late and it was it was like seeing you know a sort of prince perform in a small venue oh. and it was amazing it was amazing the acoustics were dead on it wasn't crowded everybody was into it it was sensational. So I might go for something like that. What, you might put it in the Jazz Cafe? Well, maybe. I mean, there this are some... This is
0: unprecedented, isn't it? Now? There
1: are some pillar problems there. And you have to decide whether you're going to pay for a table upstairs. But no, I'm not going to pay for a table upstairs. Well, look, I mean... what I'm we- going to put it in the Jazz Cafe because when you hear the people I've got coming, mm. like, you're going to be shit. <laughs> I can't believe I saw th- him or her mm. at the jazz, cafe. the jazz cafe. They're only. But then you know, I like you. I was very privileged to work at Six Music for a while, so I got to see Bowie in the BBC Theatre. Oh, and Jonathan Ross invited uh, Adam and I to see Bowie at the Maid of Vale. You know, with about 150 people.
0: What was that like just before? We were go you, any were you there? I was not. there Were you for not that?
1: there when he played in the BBC no. Theatre? That might have been before my time. You know.
0: Maybe it was, or maybe they was just, this? maybe the invitation just didn't make it to, maybe it was, no, they, maybe they had an old address. No, everybody who had
1: anything to do with BBC Radio was there. <laughs> yeah, Mind you, there were before. limited, you know, there were lots of the public, there were, you know, people who won tickets and stuff. Wow. It was incredible. But Did after, you
0: meet him at all?
1: No, we never met him. No, Adam tells the story better than me, but we nearly met him at Glastonbury. He apparently wanted to talk to us, but then just decided not to talk to anybody. Right. But no, that, that was amazing. But once you got over the fact that, it is what it is. Then you, it just becomes an incredible concert where you're listening to the music, one of the greats of yeah. all time.
0: Well, let's make it the Jazz Cafe. Let's. What I'll do is I'll I'll do a bit of structural work. I'll remove some of the pillars using uh, uh, RSJs. I'll make sure, of course, it's very safe, and I'll probably extend the the the, the size of it a little bit. Uh, not to, to the extent that it, it changes the vibe. So okay, let's we're doing yeah. it. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'd vacillate between that and the Fuji Rock Festival at the foot of Mount Fuji. Have you been? Yeah. We covered that for the B, for, for the BBC Choice when it was called BBC Choice. Oh. And I remember Adam and I walking. It, it's extremely civilized. Everybody respects each other's personal space. There's no mosh pit. Everyone's just, even even in front of the stage, people are standing a meter or two apart. People have little portable ashtrays to put their cigarette butts in. It's incredibly clean, beautiful environment at the foot of Mount Fuji. And I didn't really know who was on the bill. And I remember we, Adam and I walking sort of up a hill and hearing Neil Young playing Needle and the Damage Done and going, "Is that fucking Neil Young? And, and then it was Neil Young. And we, like ran, we turned around the corner and we were like six foot in front of the stage because everyone was so spaced in such a civilised manner that you could just meander through the crowd without having to push anybody. Feels
0: a little bit like we should probably make it there, actually.
1: Well, do we have to commit now? Okay,
0: we'll come back to it. We will decide a bit later on whether it's the Jazz Cafe or at the foot of Mount Fuji. Um and, and we also do ridiculous. <laughs> Can things. we just build the jazz cafe at the foot of Mount Fuji and yeah. take the roof literally take blow the roof off. There you go. The Jazz Cafe at the foot of Mount Fuji. I've written it down now, it's happening. We need to name it. Oh really? Yeah. Which I is think always I'd the like to come back
1: to that. It? Yeah, Like if you're writing a, a script and you yeah. can't think of a name for it, then just wait. Okay. And it'll offer itself it will. at some point.
0: We're going to get the first act in a minute, but let me ask, what was Little Joe like? You know, <laughs> what what influences happened upon the, you as a child that made you become this, this sort of brilliant mm. show-off, really? <laughs> but sort of, uh, it seems to me like a sort of introverted show-off, like an introverted extrovert making fantastic things that people enjoy uh, I don't know I just just a, a like
1: a pop kid mm. just like anybody else really loved the charts did you tape them obviously yeah tape yeah tape the charts and then loved cinema so I grew up in Stockwell in South London and I went to the cinema in Streatham a lot and my parents let me go to the cinema when I was on my own when I was pretty young. I saw the, the Black Stallion was the first film I saw. On my own, my mum said, you know, you can stay and see it and then come out, get on the number three bus, this I was know. in Lower Regent Street, and come straight home.
0: And how old would you have been
1: then? What's The Black Stallion? 81, so maybe 11, wow. 12.
0: That's quite bad, um, isn't
1: it? And then I saw, uh, you know, my uncle was the art editor of the of, a, of the Beaufora magazine, British UFO magazine. He took me to see Close Encounters, which would have been 78. Yeah, I so I would have up. been nine. Wow. Quite intense. Then my aunt took us to see Picnic at Hanging Rock, which was a certificate A. Anyone could see Picnic at Hanging Rock. I don't think she understood what it was because it freaked us the fuck out. Where did they go? Why? But where did they go? They were on the mountain and they didn't. They went into the rocks, but where did they didn't come back, auntie? Pamela (laughs) and then I'm also the generation that that was around when there was no certification on VHS videos you know it took the BBFC about three four years and and several moral panics to actually pass legislation where uh, video cassettes of movies were in any way rated so there was this amazing era when you like you could be 12 and and go and get the exorcist and zombie flesh eaters and fame and your porkies
0: the texas chainsaw massacre did a lot of good business yeah you the same generation i'm i'm sort of 72 so more or less the same you know so
1: it's a big sort of open door to pop culture at that moment in time it's also a really strong era for pop culture like people are quite dismissive about 80s cinema but for young people in particular for kids 80s cinema was pretty pretty incredible
0: What's it like to switch from growing up with someone as a hero like Spielberg and then actually working with them? Are you quite good at that code switching where you can meet an extraordinarily famous person who you love, but kind of treat them normal?
1: Well, yeah, it's freaky at first. But I was put in at the deep end because uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Edgar Wright were already, Simon and Nick were going to play the Thompson Twins in Tintin, and Kathy Kennedy and Spielberg had approached Edgar to do a draft of a script that had already been written by Stephen Moffat, but Moffat had to leave to, be, to do Doctor Who. So we went to the studios in California, and we just I just walked into a meeting room with Edgar, sat down next to him, having read Moffat's script, and, and around the table were Peter Jackson and Spielberg, and yeah, I was a little bit starstruck, but it was a little bit starstruck. I was very starstruck, but there's also that thing of the person's real. Yeah. So you can see the the pores and the on their skin and uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it is a different sort of energy that you can sort of hook onto that to relax yourself, I think. And then they said, uh, okay, we need to get this script down by about 40, 50 pages and Aker said, Joe's got an idea of how to do it. <laughs> Joe, tell Stephen your idea of how to do it. <laughs> so I <gasps> I pitched my idea of how to shorten it, which was to combine the villain in the past, mm. Rackham, and the villain in the present story, Saccharin, if you know the story yeah. at all, to combine them, make them descendants of one another. So I pitched that and said, oh, that's good, Joe. Yeah, that's good. That could work. And then that was... That was, it just went from there, really. And you just get on, you know, you're there to do a job. And yeah. I was terrified of being, you know, kicked off.
0: But I suppose that is it You as well. The thing that, that binds you is that you're both film addicts and you're steeped in it and you you probably know a lot of the stuff that, you know, each other knows and you, you have that bond. It's like when, you, when musicians meet each other. I'm a musician. I'm not a great one, but I am a musician, which it means that when I talk to Pete Townsend, yeah. if I get him on guitars we've got a completely level playing field. Really? Yeah. Are, uh, <laughs> really, sure. <laughs> no, I say completely level playing field. I, I, would, I would argue that some of my later material is stronger than his. But, you know, I mean, that's for the public to decide. But, but like you, with
1: Spielberg, like that, his generation are influenced by these films from the 40s and 50s. So his childhood film, like his, his films are my childhood films. Mm. His childhood films are a whole generation that I'm a bit lost in because I know I know all the shit from when I was alive. Yeah. I'm much more wobbly on before I was alive cuz yeah. cuz I, I wasn't alive. <laughs> <laughs> Plus he's fucking Steven Spielberg, know, you know. know. You don't he's the mo- you know, he's just the way he blocks a scene, the way he moves a camera between moments within a scene is it's like everybody else in in the industry is writing in capital letters and he's writing in, is it called cursive? Yes. <laughs> Seriously, like the way he will just move a camera yeah. between. So you do the job, which is to try and write decent scenes, and then when you can,
0: you, you fucking watch and yeah. listen. Listen and watch, listen and watch. It's a bit like, and um, perhaps I've heard other people say this, if you're our age, it's almost like Steven Spielberg's in in the camera inside your mind anyway Like you probably see the world A little bit like one of his films Because it's so influential And it's, it's so written into your You know Your sort of psyche and DNA It's weird He's yeah. in there It's terrifying yeah. And whenever he speaks I always, he, I always think he sounds a little bit like uh, The guy who runs Charlie's Angels You know he's kind of Almost got that kind of raspy voice <laughs> That's the way, the way I was imagining <laughs> him anyway. Do you mean Charlie? That's him Charlie's Angels Charlie. Charlie's in the title The guy who runs Charlie's Angels. The guy who runs Charlie's Angels would have been a a much catchier name for the series. Mm. But we need to move into uh, the job at hand, which is creating this festival that has no name, at the Jazz Cafe at the foot of Mount Fuji. Check one. Testing. Is everybody ready yet? We good?
1: Let me just get the, the rules right. Yeah. Am I allowed five human beings?
0: Um, yeah, well... well. well, well or,
1: or, or am I allowed to, like, have five acts that consist of two or three? Your producer gave me the thumbs up, so I'm going to ignore whatever you're about to say if yeah. it's not that.
0: No, you, you, I mean, <laughs> really, you can read Thank it you, exactly Natalie. as you feel. You know what I mean? All right,
1: well, coming on stage... Now I've got to think about what order to do this mm. in. Do you think it's... Do, have Panicking people nuts. just thought about this before? Is it a bum steer to be first?
0: Not at all. Is there I, some sort of support? Like, I'm is there a sense that you're warming up the crowd? I'm pretty certain that uh, Dan Reynolds of Imagine Dragons' first act was the Beatles. Am I right in remembering <laughs> that? Supporting who? Can't even remember who was on the rest of the, the bill, That's but he put good. the Beatles on first. And then there was this sort of, I think there was a mythical uh, argument back to the cage okay. between. So Paul listen, I'm, and I'm, Kanye. I'm
1: bringing out Prince oh, yeah. and Sheila E. Yeah. and Raphael Sadiq yeah. on bass. Beautiful. I mean, the original. Lineup. I don't know whether actually Sheila, Ian, Raphael, Sadiq were playing with him at the same time. But basically, I want the prints from the Sign of the Times movie. I,
0: I like what you've done though mm. because it's important to give us an era of the artist yeah. as well. If if there is one that you know you particularly, I think find that's because
1: then he's got his most of his back catalogue. He hasn't gone. He hasn't become slave and yeah. started releasing ten albums a week. And Sheila, E's going to do that amazing drum solo. And they're super tight. And, and then Raphael's, in my version of it, Raphael Sadiq. And you know the bit where they go off in that movie and they do that incredible free jazz improv section. Do you know Matt, who Madhouse are?
0: No. Oh, yeah. Do you yes. know the Madhouse are? Ring, this rings a bell, but you've got to so fill there, this there's, in for us.
1: There's this band called Madhouse, which is, which is Prince under another name. Yeah. Just Prince and his musicians just doing instrumental jazz funk. One album's called Eight. The other album's called Sixteen. Basically, when they stop doing Prince tracks and just do that, like jazz rock improvisation in the middle of Sign of the Times, that's what the Madhouse albums yes. are like. They're, they're brilliant. They're weird, but they're brilliant. But instead of that shit, Raphael would come on and he would sing some of his numbers. So it's a lovely, I'd be in hog heaven.
0: It's a lovely balance, and what a great way to start uh, mm. the, the festival, the foot of Mount Fuji and the Jazz Cafe. Um, <laughs> I love saying I it. I love saying it.
1: Well, it just seems
0: counterintuitive because you wouldn't be able to see vista. where you were. Yeah. Maybe what we do is we what we do is we start and it's the jazz cafe, but it's an art installation. Yes. And as 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 the music begins yes. and as the sun rises. Um, the walls we, we, yes. we start to be removed and eventually the, 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 the roof gets literally blown off. That's so much more see... lyrical. In my imagination, I just had big, what are they called,
1: UVPC? What are they called? <laughs> sliding <laughs> patio <laughs> doors. <laughs> Someone open the patio doors, please. Oh, look, Mount Fuji.
0: Who's got the key? Where have you got the key? <laughs> we can't even open the bloody doors for Prince Sheila and Rafael Sadiq.
1: They're in the garden oh. next to the barbecue. It's a beautiful thought. Did you ever see him? Yeah, I did. I saw him on the Love Sexy tour, Bloody I think, hell. at the uh, Wembley Arena, I think. It was one of those, it's the first time I'd been to a gig because I live around the corner from the Brixton Academy. So I, most of my gigs I go to the Brixton Academy. I think it was one of the first gigs I'd been to where you were seated mm. in ticketed seats. And it's the first time I experienced that thing of, well, if somebody 28 rows in front of you decides to stand up, Everybody else between you and them is going to stand up. Yeah. And then everyone has to fucking stand up because no one can see if someone stands up. You're just staring at someone's ass. <laughs> and I i was very preoccupied with that.
0: Yeah. were you? Was it making you a bit anxious?
1: I just thought this is wrong. This isn't the spirit of Prince. Yeah. Like we should be milling around and like getting all sweaty and then falling away to the back and having a drink and then charging back. Do you know what I yeah. mean? The sort of ebb and flow of a real gig. A Malay. Yeah, not this sort be. of, um, yeah, I It's a little
0: bit, I, being old now, I kind of just fucking love being sat in a seat, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. well I was at the, saying, the Brixton yeah. Academy the other day for the first time in years seeing a band called Bad Bad Not Good, do you amazing. know Bad Bad Not F- Good, fabulous. amazing yeah.
0: One and of the best v- drummers in the world Yes, and
1: their stuff is sensational, in fact we use one of their tracks as the title music for Lockwood Aha,
0: that's what it is, right
1: um, And so I went to see them and, and it was so fucking loud and I was so worried about tinnitus that I saw someone next to me shoving a napkin in their ears I thought, that's a good idea, but I haven't got any napkin. So I went to the bar and said, hello, have you got any napkins to shove in my ears? They said, no, but we've got (laughs) earplugs. And they had a massive bucket of earplugs, and that was so unlike... The attitude when I was young, not being able to hear for days like, afterwards. Yeah, the next morning. But that Damn. would be part of the sense memory imprint of the occasion, yeah. would be the hearing damage.
0: I remember, the I think the loudest gig I've ever been to was spiritualized at the Royal Festival wow. Hall in 2011, really? and it was fucking insane.
1: That's a civilized space, though.
0: Yeah. And that's what it, I think it took people unawares, and, and yeah. people were leaving. You could tell they were in actual agony. Well, do
1: you know what? <laughs> I took my daughter to see Room on the Broom there, and that was too loud. <laughs> Seriously, we had to leave.
0: It's 15 it ten, fifteen. The one thing time. about
1: the uh, Bricks Academy that was the same, and took me right back to like ninety two, was the toilets. Oh yeah, just a river of piss. Yeah, river. <laughs> you people,
0: you should need to wear your wellies. <laughs> I think they were they were playing there the other night. River actually, of river piss. of piss. Yeah, yeah. is yeah. a festival environment something that you feel comfortable in? We did Joe Lys at last. Another mm. Joe. He fucking hates them. I'm not
1: huge. Well, I've been to Green Man, Glastonbury, and we did a bunch of them on the Adam and Joe show where we took Adam's dad, Nigel Buxton, bad aka dad. Bad Dad to yeah. Tribal oh, Gathering. Uh, tribal. And so I'd say as long as I can go home. Yeah. Like I do not like camping at all. I don't. I camped at Green Man, but I didn't like it. I do it, but I do it on the surface. The going to sleep's fine. The waking up is just odd. And I just need to have a nice, you know, a nice poo. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And a wash and feel fresh and some private time without the pressure of a queue outside the door. You have to head off to the side of the bus
0: and make sure you've got enough wipes.
1: Don't like it. Not having it. Not surprised. Hotel Um, or home?
0: Hotel or home. (laughs) Who would we put on after Prince then? Oh, we're talking about mid-morning now.
1: Yeah, well, Prince have really... Uh, Prince and the Revolution, or whoever they were, whatever they were called in that period, have really got, got everybody going. They've loosened everybody up. They've got everybody... Funkin'. Yeah, Funkin'. There's a sort of pulse going through. People are ready for complica- complex rhythms. And Poly-rhythms. interesting melodies. So I'm bringing 70s-era weather report on. <laughs> I'm bringing on Zweenel, Shorter, Pastorius Hakim. Omar? Yeah. Fucking now, hell! That, that, I'm not sure they all played in Weather Report at the same time, but I'm bringing them all. I'm bringing them all in, the and then I'm bringing lucky. Herbie Hancock. Herbie as a guest keyboard player, and the audience. The audience do not know who is on this bill, and the audience are, are like they're just high, even if they're not actually high. They're high on what they've just seen with Prince, and they're very. They know about Weather Report this or and they're like fucking shitting hell what the fuck is happening and there's been 45 minutes for a hot dog between and I've got infinite toilets <laughs> <laughs> literally I've got a new sort of toilet that's disposable you use it and it's disposed of it's, it's eaten by a cow
0: oh it's brilliant so yeah it's no, it's, it's, completely it's, it's, it's biodegradable toilets you piss on them neutral. and they
1: literally just disintegrate once you've
0: Made yourself I decent. Love this. And also, we've got two new f- new bands here. We've got Rivers of Pest, uh, supported and by Infinite, infinite Toilets. <laughs> yeah, Infinite toilets. Infinite Toilets. <laughs> just two really great up and coming yeah. acts that yeah. you'll see later. Yeah.
1: Well, so, I think we got the we're coming. You know, we got a couple of options for the name of the festival as well. Yeah, as well. Infinite, infinite, infinite toilets. toilets. The Infinite I'd Toilet go to Festival. Infinite
0: Toilets, wouldn't you? People would be. That's the big selling point.
1: Yeah, you don't I really mind care. You, it's a long way to walk if the ones closest to you are busy. <laughs> isn't it oh i missed i missed prince and the revolution and 70 zero weather report <laughs> cuz the toilet was 5 trillion miles away <laughs> They did say infinite na- on the
0: ticket, Douglas Adams would be um oh, cleaning he, them. He'd love that concept. I mean, what you, you know, because when I think about you and music, I, I think about Adam Buxton as well, and, the, and your other mate Louis Theroux. Mm. You, you all, when I think of you, off the top of my head, I think hip hop. I think you guys getting into things like the Beastie Boys and shit like that. But this weather yeah. reports that when did you get deep into that kind of well, that of thing? was
1: when we were at school as well. I got Louis into I was the one into hip hop, I got Louis into hip hop. And Adam was a. T- it was a tougher sell with Adam because he was an angry. I don't know about drumming, but he was more of a sort of foot on the floor four four <laughs> beats. Does that
0: mean anything? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whereas Louis could deal with a sort of syncopated rhythm. Yeah, Adam was
0: a bit more meat and potatoes.
1: Yeah, that's very. He wanted four. Yeah, he wanted he four four. He old. didn't want
0: seven four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you.
1: Um, but we had a friend at school called Chris Barnes who was a brilliant drummer and a very brilliant musician. I think his dad was uh, was some sort of worked in sound, maybe for the BBC or something. I can't remember, but he had a bunch of equipment at his house and he was a brilliant, had lots of synthesizers. He was the first person we knew to have hi-fi stereo, like to get a, v- a widescreen VHS of Star Wars and watch it in hi-fi stereo. But he got me into Weather Report. He got me into uh, Trouble Funk yeah. and Weather Report. He was very into Genesis as well, which we didn't, Embrace so heartily but um we were smoking we st- started smoking weed at the time as well and there are some amazing dvds you can get of weather report performing in the 70s in what look like student like college halls yeah. sitting on the floor smoking hash oh the other thing chris loved to show us he would love to show us the sting film that he made for Dream of the Blue Turtles, Turtles. when he sort of hired oh, yeah. all those musicians. He sort, he sort of went, okay, I'm going to make a jazz album.
0: What did he kind of bring on the night? Yeah, it's not a bad album, it's but he sort of hires the all these
1: phenomenal yeah. musicians. Did you get getting people like Marcus Miller and all these guys. Something these like cats? that. It's Omar Hakim is on yeah, that album. Yeah, yeah. And they're sort of taking the piss out of Sting in the film behind his back because <laughs> okay. he's telling them how to play. And it's like no, this this river's flowing in the wrong direction. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so 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 we like that. That felt like uh, oh, we like this film where these people. Who are these people taking the piss out of Sting? This is good. Yeah. Okay. We want to hear what else they do. Yeah. And yeah. That was and, your um, that
0: was your gateway. You've just sort of reminded me of another thing I wanted to ask you about, which is on my show we used to do a thing where a sort of little skit joke, which was the greatest hits of Sting and the Police as sung by Yoda. And it was hmm, <laughs> can't stand losing you, I can't. His greatest hits, including my faith in you if I ever lose, you know, and that was the gag. But it reminds me of uh, an Adam and Joe, K, like a K-hole, an A and J-hole that I went down recently mm. about the stop motion puppetry, about those sketches, yeah. Luke gets laid. Yes. The imperial family, where you do the royal family, but it's all the, the the cast of Star Wars.
1: Yes, that's one of Adams. We used to do those individually okay we'd go off and sort of have sort of a, a nuclear war with each other like who can do like the better. Yeah, yeah it was competitive and what well, you're very flattering to call it stop motion animation it wasn't really <laughs> it we wasn't just glued quite, them though. to um wire coat hangers and waggled them around there'd be an occasional little bit of stop motion if someone wanted to raise an arm or something it's, that yeah, was really it,
0: pushing the boat out it wasn't aardman no, it was not, Ardman. Is it true that the Adam and Joe show was commissioned by Channel 4 and it was run under the auspices of the religious department yes. of Channel 4? because
1: in the old days at Channel 4, every commissioner had their remit, mm. entertainment, religion, current affairs or whatever, but then they had a little free free time what would you call it, like a sort of open door. So they could commission one show that was sort of, I think I'm right in saying a little bit left field, or they were encouraged to stretch the definition of their Their remit. remit. Yeah, And this guy called Peter Grimstone, I mean, Fenton Bailey is the guy that gave us the opportunity, and he runs a company called World of Wonder who do um, RuPaul's Drag Race. And so even back then, he was managing RuPaul when nobody knew who RuPaul was. This is in the, you know, 94, 95. And he saw a tape Adam made that uh, I'd helped Adam out with some stuff. Anyway, and this guy, uh, Channel 4 called Peter Grimsdale, who's now a novelist and was a really brilliant guy, uh, yeah, saw our stuff and thought, okay, well, their religion is pop culture Mm. so this is a show that worships pop culture yeah yeah and it was that moment when uh video technology was becoming properly affordable to people and so a lot of commissioners were interested in the notion of the public making stuff we just got lucky you know to send in a tape at the right time
0: Do you hear that, then? No, it's not Sonic, Fred Smith, or Johnny Marr. It's actually me, Sean W. Keaveney, butting into my own podcast to wang on, or should that be twang on, about the joy of Fender. I'm so meta these days. In case you didn't know this, the Stratocaster is the foundation on which rock and roll was built. Even I cannot tarnish its unimpeachable reputation. B.B. King could make his guitar cry. Hendrix could make it scream. I can make mine apologize. We've all got our genius, you know. To find out all you need to know and to hear this gorgeous guitar, just go to fender.com forward slash the lineup. And we're back to the festival. Again, we, we pinball, but it's after lunch now. First of all, what are we going to eat? And then we're uh, going to get the next act on while we're digesting.
1: Well, I'm ju- I am think I'm just going to have a lot of fresh fresh food, organic food, fresh organic food being grilled. Not vegan food. There's going to be some animals being slaughtered.
0: You're going to make uh, it I'm part afraid. of the thing? You're going to like the but end of being, Apocalypse well, Now or something, you know?
1: No, no, no that's Do disturbing. That yeah, that yeah. no, I'm going to be very hypocritical about it. <laughs> and um, maybe I'm just going to have an ornamental field of happy cows. But then I'm also going to have some really lovely sausages mm, and mm. just fresh salad and mm, um, mm. lovely fresh bread. Mm. It's going to be like a sort of farmers, giant
0: farmer's market.
1: Oh. It's like when you make a film in America and the craft services is just like the best barbecue you've ever been to
0: it, when you say craft services then you mean when you're on a set yeah, and, the, the and, like and the catering is like really good and if,
1: and if you're on a film in, a, in California you'll leave the studio and there'll just be this incredible griddle and they'll be cooking stuff fresh for you. When you make a film in England, you leave the set, and it's like walking onto the first five minutes of Oliver. <laughs> it's a slot what bucket. It's gruel. That, yeah, that's not strictly true, but they tend to be very ambitious on a, in for some reason. British yeah. catering. It's like the duck à l'orange for 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 a hundred and fifty people.
0: They don't do that.
1: No, Just no. fucking grill a really nice corn on the cob and a sausage.
0: Yeah. Keep it simple, people, (laughs) for Christ's sake. Okay, so we'll do that. That's what's going on. Nice fresh
1: fruit salad, fruit smoothies. It's really, you know, it's going to pep you up.
0: I'm standing next to you now. Mm. Uh, I hope you don't mind. I've just got like a massive sausage on a fork like the start of Grange Hill. Uh, All the walls uh, and the ceiling now of the Jazz Cafe have been removed in, in this colossal art installation. Now we are in the fresh air at the foot of Mount Fuji. And that's where the next act is going to be taking place. Uh, after weather report, who's it going yes. to be?
1: Well, shit, I've got, I've got to make some decisions here. Mm. Um, I am going to go for, I'm going to bring on Prefab Sprout. Oh. I'm going to bring on Prefab Sprout, sort of Two Wheels Good tour. Two Wheels Good. That Adam and I actually went to see. What? Which is a bit—it's that's a, that's quite a sharp
0: turn, isn't it? Mm, isn't it? Because it's—I don't know—they're kind of. um I mean, obviously, although Paddy and, and Co are Scottish, there, there is that sort of. There's a—I don't know—a sort of proper preparation. Are they Scottish? or Durham. Oh, what the fuck am I talking about? Yeah. Scottish, Durham, northeast, virtually mm. the same thing. Let's be honest. Mm. Hadrian's Wall, notwithstanding. Mm. Uh, don't even take that out now. No, leave it. <laughs> Fuck it. Leave it in. I'll stand by it. I got it wrong. Um Am I allowed to bring orange juice on as well? Do it.
1: If I could bring orange juice and Pre, oh, they wouldn't play together. Maybe they'd ping pong. Mm. Well, song. We, oh, they're quite different bands really. Well, you know, different could, energies. What
0: could be fun would be we could have orange juice. We could they could sort of play uh, one song each like one after the yes. other in, in relay like yeah. that.
1: And in fact, when we when Adam and I saw Prefab Sprout on the Two Wheels Good tour, we were a little you know, in retrospect, we're like, how amazing that we were there. But at the time, we were like, they're playing everything too fast. It's much too fast. This is much faster than on the record. Slow it down, please. <laughs> so, but now I think about it, and Preface about playing everything quite fast. I'm not sure Paddy's a hugely comfortable yeah. live performer, and he's very impatient, isn't he? He's a bit like Prince, extraordinarily prolific, yeah moves on from his own work very very fast has you know the myth is he's got chestfuls fulls of unreleased really? compositions he's sitting on like prince uh but when they play fast they're probably a, a little more jangly and a yeah. little more postcardy and and they might fit a bit better with yeah. orange juice it
0: reminds me i'm pretty sure i've read somewhere that you are quite a fan of haircut 100 as very, well. very very much so so that again, there's a similar thing going on yeah, there, they, isn't it? They might be waiting in the wings. I sure. Mean, why did they even mention it? So <laughs> fucking unprofessional, isn't it? Why bring it up?
1: Yeah, why I even bring, bring it up? Down. Just slow it down, Sean.
0: <laughs> that was Keith Richards. But that would be. Fun. I mean,
1: him. this is a very, very good gig because it's been sort of quite, you know, sophisticated, and then and then quite complex, mm. and now it's just very, very melodic and fun and and poppy, but still. You know, got real texture and energy, and it's just what you want after lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> prefab sprout and orange juice, and a glass of orange juice—just what you want as a pick me up, isn't it? This it's is a sh- going it, very it,
0: well. It's a shame that they don't. We don't. They don't really sell CDs anymore because it'd be a great thing to put on the front of a prefab sprout CD mm-hmm. release, wouldn't it? Mm. Perfect for after lunch. Yes, it, it would. Yeah, would it
1: limit sales? Or you know what I <laughs> want to do with Jefferson. the walls? By the way, oh, of yeah. the, I want to be able to bring them back in and out again because I think we're expanding for hmm. maybe we- maybe report. prints. We're going fresco, but yeah. then for weather report, we're bringing it in. Okay, because everyone everyone's smoking weeds, so there's lots of secondhand. That's nice smoke, and then maybe I don't know. I think
0: we're keeping the walls in yeah. for prefab sprout. This and is brilliant. Juice. Why have people so thought like about a student before. gig. Because it's, this is a bit like Inspired by Roger Waters' The Wall. Yes. But instead of that just one big wall at the front, we're just we're removing and, and putting back in the whole building. That's another film
1: I saw on my own when it, for the
0: week it came out. Yeah, at the Empire Leicester Square. It was very loud.
1: I was interested in the film. I was an Alan Parker fan at that age. I was interested in it as a film. You know, the, that single had been at number one, right? Uh, yeah, uh, the, uh, another, another brick, brick in the, in the wall. wall yeah. So I was heavily into the visual metaphor of children going into meat grinders. That's my life, yeah. I thought. <laughs> that teacher's just like my teacher, and I do not need no education. So I was very invested in that, and the rest of it I found very exciting.
0: But that that idea of the, the kids going through the meat cleaver and that that heavy metaphor for yeah. education. And being... their voices
1: as well, and the footage yeah. of them. Because I was in the 70s. I didn't go to posh school till I was older. So I was at 70s South London State School
0: educated. So that just felt like me and my class. But what about that for you? Because I was going to quickly talk about that. So you were, you were a comp school kid.
1: No, no. I went, I went posh when I was about, you know, 10 or 10. Yeah.
0: So you had a bit of both really. Yeah. So what do you, what is it like to do that? And what was it like for you? It's obvious what you kind of can get out of a sort of private school and there are many advantages to it that we all know and of course we would all we're we're all to some lesser or greater degree a little bit pissed off with the attorneys that run the country Mm. that's just me that's just my opinion there are many people listening who might disagree with that and i i respect your difference of opinion but what are the things that when you come out of it or are there any things that when you come out of a private school environment like that that you think are, are disadvantages that put you on the back foot a little bit no 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 it's just, no, it's it just It's
1: ridiculous how everyone, I think we got a very weird year, me and Adam and Louie, but so many people I see on TV went to school with us.
0: It's a clear advantage. It is isn't nuts.
1: It? It's nuts. My, my dad, he told me the other day how he afforded it. Cause we lived in, we lived in Stockwell, you know, mm. in a, and it was pretty rough just, just down the road from the Stockwell estate in the, in the seventies and eighties. So we're not living in Kensington. You know, and, my, and I said to my dad the other day, how did you afford to, se- to send me to that place? I think I'd ever asked him. And he said when his dad died, he, when my father's father died, he ca- there was an insurance policy that got cashed in. So my dad went to the, a teacher he knew through a friend who was at Westminster, who taught at Westminster. And even though we were too young to go, he said, look, I'm going to give you this lump sum of money. And that's the fee, that's the fees. If Joe gets in, I'll give you that. And then it's all settled. Wow. I won't, you know, don't, I won't pay more if the fees go up. Here's this money in yeah. advance if he gets in. So you did the If he doesn't exam. get in, take it back. So he put it in an account, I think. And I managed to get in. And so that, and then so, but other than that, we didn't, you know, we didn't go on holiday abroad till I was about 13 or something. Did you feel a
0: maybe. bit like the poor, the poor kid in the posh school? Or was that well, not, that's,
1: not a thing? I wouldn't claim that at all. But comparatively speaking, Adam and I, you know, Adam writes about it in his book, comparatively speaking, Adam and I were a bit like um, competition winners in Willy Wonka's, <laughs> <laughs> in Willy Wonka's Factory.
0: But it's refreshing to really talk about Willy Wonka's Factory, it. is that what Willy it's called? Wanker. Wanker. Oh, Willy Wonka. Uh, sorry, I just misspoke that. Willy Wanker's
1: that. Factory. <laughs> we, that, it was like
0: Willy Wanker's Factory. <laughs> we were like competition winners in Willy Wanker's Factory. But it is, it's is—it's funny, isn't it? Because it's sort of a taboo subject all round, really. Even back in the 60s, once there was that sort of attempt of popular culture to overturn the establishment, which never really worked, but for a while it felt like if you had a liverpudlian accent, you ruled the world, that that was an illusion. There's that whole thing about people who went to posh schools like Mick Jagger and sort of pretending yeah. to be really common and stuff, you know, and it was an embarrassment to talk about being, yeah. going to a posh school. And it is kind of a, it's quite refreshing to it. You say that, which is the honest, the honest thing about it is like, it's a colossal advantage to go to a school like that. And it's a fucking shame that more people don't get a chance to have a good education.
1: Oh, yeah. no, I can only talk about my experience and it, it, definitely, I mean, it was a, it was a privilege to just be in that place in London. To be able to bunk off and go to Leicester Square and see films, and um, to be larking around in the shadow of Westminster Abbey yeah. is ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. almost like a
0: film. It's like a filmic yeah. sort of childhood, isn't it? But then again, you didn't have the Carton horses Holtz pub across the road from your school like we no. did at St Mary's. But we, we did, you know, we did.
1: Gen- we did answer an advert in the New Musical Express, is what got us onto television.
0: That's how that happened.
1: Yeah, so it wasn't as if you didn't pull all those uh, strings. No, Adam. Adam saw an advert in the NME saying Channel Four are looking for homemade videos, creative homemade videos, and because we spent all our time. So Adam's dad, being a journalist and having access to video cameras, that he would get given by video companies to write uh, to plug in his column. Uh, that that privilege got us access yeah. to video cameras. And then we just kept doing it while we were... I was at film school and he was at art school. We just kept doing silly shit on videos every weekend because we were into it. And then Adam, seeing an advert in the NME, sending off a little compilation of stuff that he'd done and we'd done, got us what? the meeting at Channel 4. But then you go into a meeting like that and you probably f- have a different attitude to whether it's possible or not if mm. you've been through That's a the thing, system it's different, like that isn't, isn't it? it like it doesn't seem impossible Yeah, it did seem impossible having said that I could not fucking believe it when that first Adam and Joe show went out I couldn't believe it I thought someone had raked a sort of um, prank <laughs> <Someone> <laughs> it, was someone like which, it was just a prank someone had spliced adverts. it was when the adverts came up is what I couldn't believe They and the continuity announcer all that stuff I just couldn't it just felt like going through the uh, like it felt like the end of 2001. <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. like my brain was t- being turned inside out
0: Well,
1: so it wasn't as if we were like, oh yes, we deserve it it was it was completely it was completely surreal that this set of circumstances had fallen into place
0: incidentally, we're go- I'm gonna get the penultimate act on in a minute. I realize that I do this where you know it becomes a hostage situation, but I like it. just speaking about that, the surreality of I'm on the fucking telly. What's it feel like when you first see your name on the big screen when you've directed a film, you've written a film? What's that like? What was it like?
1: Well, uh, it's very exciting. Um, but by the time you've finished a feature film, if you've directed it and written it, you know it so intimately that any spontaneity... <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you've seen it a zillion times. And really, you can't ever experience it. Maybe ten years later... Hmm. if you catch yourself in the right mood you might be able to watch it like another person would watch it in fact this is something that spielberg's producer said to me she said you know joe steven can never experience his films like you experience them
0: that's kind of a sadness in that
1: yeah yeah reasonable (laughs) 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 trade-off i'd say but um yeah no it's what was thrilling was was on the poster of tintin uh, it says, written by... Basically, my name is right above Steven Spielberg's. Oh, God in those letters it. that when I was a kid, I used to... Oh, I'd love to have... You know the funny fonts they do on yeah. film posters where they're tall and small yeah.
0: to cram everybody in?
1: There's something very sexy about yeah. those. Um,
0: well, especially... It's for like a... me
1: and Adam, tall and small. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's talk quickly about Lockwood & Co., your new series on Netflix, mm. based on a series of uh, books by Jonathan Strode. That is correct, there's an epidemic of ghosts in Britain. Their touch brings death and only children have the power to fight them. Is right in, for that audience, because some of your be- best stuff is like the teens and young adults. It's like a, is that your sweet spot?
1: Well, I think the answer I usually trot out is because I'm trying to make films for myself when I was <laughs> the age that we've been discussing. Yeah. And something odd has happened culturally in that now this thing called Four Quadrant Movies emerged. Like, uh, like It like sort of time. started with The Simpsons. And then with Pixar, where suddenly family movies had this layer of sophisticated adult mm. humour and suddenly everybody could see them. So the, they, used to be, they used to be kids' films, films for teens. You know, if you were a kid, you'd see yeah. uh, The Rescuers. If you were a teen, you'd see John Hughes. If you were a bit older, you'd see a Schwarzenegger. If you were a sophisticated adult, you'd see Kramer versus Kramer or Tootsie. Mm. And if you were hardcore, you'd go and see The Exorcist. But they were sort of... Separate. Yeah, there was a sort of ladder you would climb as you grew. Yeah, But then culture shifted in such a way that bits of all those genres started blending. And I do think The Simpsons was maybe the beginning of that. Because mm-hmm. you remember when people would go, eh, who cares about that stupid? It's a cartoon. Yeah. No, but it's more than a cartoon. It's actually a, and just the concept of a smart cartoon yeah. was new in the 90s. It was. And that is now, we're so comfortable with that now. And that that has evolved so much. The Pixar films like Toy Story became the next step on that ladder. Okay, this is a movie about a kid, and his toys come to life. But it's incredibly emotional, and it's very sophisticated, and it's got stuff for the adults and the kids. Then Shrek, which is full of all the postmodern humor, and then the Marvel movies that, su- and the Star Wars reboots, where suddenly all the nostalgia is being fed in, and suddenly you've got these. This is I'm not I'm the millionth person to say this, but you've got a huge Adult child yeah. population yes. who are all consuming this sort of ageless blob, <laughs> and really the only the only separate group is the under eights. And even you know, my daughter's three and a half, and she's watching Tangled and and all those Moana's Disney princesses. and Moana, and which is yeah. a f- terrific. They're still film. very watchable. It's for so adults, good, aren't they? A lot of them. Anyway, so I do remember fondly the time when and having said all this Lockwood and Co does work for grown-ups and yeah. it works. it's not for younger children because it's a bit scary yeah. but it's for me it's what good saturday night slightly scary thrilling yeah. family tv used to be like you can watch it as a family and it does have those things i'm talking yeah. about but it takes itself seriously it's not full of quips or meta jokes we believe in it we believe we we believe in our characters we believe in the story we believe in the stakes and the jeopardy the fact that these ghosts are lethal so i think it long answer to your question i think i'm just trying to get the same energy that i got when i was you know 12 13 yeah, 14 15 it makes sense it's fun it's adventurous but it's also a bit dangerous you know like heads are exploding <laughs> uh you know and also i really want to do original stuff i i'm really board of franchises and i mean i'm i'm probably hopefully going to do a sequel to attack the block yes
0: but, which we'll, we've got we've got to talk about but i like to do to the i like
1: to do original stuff as well and these books are really brilliant he's really thought about the pseudoscience of ghosts in a way that i've never encountered before and i love spook i love mm. the supernatural stories and fantasy and and he's thought about he's built a whole science but having said that it's super simple it's not like um uh, the, the new Lord of the Rings show or one of those shows where it feels like you're taking a geography exam and a history exam in bullshit <laughs> like to understand what the fuck is going on it's very straightforward it's three characters with these terrifically strong relationship and a very straightforward story that you can just really understand the rules
0: and the and I'm proud of it I think it's it's really good it's eight eight episodes I can't wait to get fully into this really because it's the I think it's like the perfect time of year. I want to ask you something very quickly off the back of that. Have you ever had a ghostly experience or a supernatural experience? Uh,
1: not really. We went to a cottage a cottage called the Longstone Cottage in the on the Isle of Wight when I was a kid. Had no electricity. It's got standing stones in the garden. You can rent it. And I had a very, very vivid nightmare. And I woke up and I had to walk across the landing to get to my parents' room. I think I wet my bed. Had to walk across the landing, and I and I didn't see anything, but I I'm I heard a a really terrifying growl, as if as if there was a creature at the bottom of the stairs.
0: <sighs> like it was that. obviously like. From inside the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was at the bottom
1: of the stairs. Okay, no. And I ran and jumped into my parents' bed, blah, 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 blah. They comforted me, never thought about it again. Then I read, I happened to come across a review in a newspaper by a journalist who'd stayed in the same cottage 35 years later, and it talked about how their daughter had had terrible, terrible nightmares in that same cottage. So that could have been spooky. There was a place we stayed in the in Provence that also there was a room we were terrified to walk through as children that, that we b- belatedly found out that room was haunted so i don't know i don't i'd love to believe in that stuff all mm. my fa- i grew up with you know my family always had you know my as i mentioned my uncle was into ufo's mm. my mum's family all from devon deep dark devon well where that, it's yeah. very dark at night
0: that those ends of the
1: the country and everywhere where there different. was the headless there was a hangman's woods there was headless horseman's gate everywhere you looked there was some sort yeah. of some and I believed it all yeah I believed it all my mum and dad did not sit me down and have the talk about Joe ghosts are not real my mum was the opposite right. she would say oh
0: careful <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fucking wondering you're turning this stuff out now as an adult is it We're up to the sunset moment now. Is this the last? It's the penultimate. Oh, penultimate, all right. I've I've got to put my foot down here. I always do this. I'm going to get... That was my seat, by the way. Listen, this is very tough. This is
1: tough. Yeah. Me and my friend Edgar Wright have been talking a lot about the Sight and Sound Top 100 Movies Ever poll, which has been quite controversial recently. And we've been talking about how tempting it is when you put lists like that to arrange them. Edgar had a good metaphor of arranging things like coffee table books. In a way that you want to be seen. Yes. You're arranging them so people yes. so half of my brain is doing that. It's going, okay, how do I wanna be What's like, should the I coolest put, way? Should I put a hip hop act in here? Because mm. I'm a big hip hop mm. fan. But I think th- I think I struggle with hip hop live sometimes. Mm. So I might go for am I gonna go for I'm gonna bring out the talking heads. Mm. And I'm going to bring out basically stop making sense. Stop making sense. Era to, I mean, have they been wheeled out
0: many times in this show? They've, they've they've been they've been out. That film is well. Tell me about it. I'm I'm not fully like an, uh, immersed in, in, in talking heads, even though, clang. You know, knowing somebody like Brian Eno, now retrospectively, understand the importance of that kind of music. But they're very
1: anxiety-inducing now. I find, as an older person. I can't listen to them as much because they're very jangly and nervous and paranoid and anxious as a band. Very itchy and twitchy. They're very suitable for when you're doing exams. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And A-levels and shit like that. And when you're just not quite sure who you are or where you are or where your life's going or where you're going to fucking live or who your friends really are. They're Alienation,
0: a, despair, co- discombobulation. Yeah, it's but all also that, a it?
1: slight arrogance and a, and pretending you know what you're doing and um,
0: cerebral and, as fuck.
1: Yeah, but also pleasurable, and they're enjoying all this. It's melodic. All this anxiety yeah. is melodic.
0: <laughs> Who are we with at this festival? This incredible art installation, jazz cafe at the foot of Mount Fuji festival that we're co-curating.
1: That's a heck of a question, just to spring on an innocent man. Billy Joel I'd have no I don't know I've no fucking idea I'd have all my friends and then I would have people with a like I'd have a masseuse mm. I'd have mm. um, somebody who was very very wealthy and generous to just buy shit for me I would have just a very keen sledge crew To get me from A to B with huskies and a sledge. You'd need them. I would have a butler with umbrellas. Yeah, I would have Doctor Who and the TARDIS, but he's fixed it so he can be specific about where it goes. In
0: case I just want to pop for a swim. So you could actually time travel as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it would be Jodie as well, who I know, who's a friend. But but the key thing is they fix the TARDIS, so it's not random. I'm specifically going oh, I just need a dip in, uh, I need to go to the Four Seasons in the Maldives. Uh, I'd be very specific. I mean, that's the Doctor Who that I want to be showrunner on.
0: Yeah. Jodie Whittaker, obviously Attack the Block, uh, you've mm. together. She deigned to do this very podcast uh, a few uh, seasons ago. Um, just, just a quick talk about Attack the Block, a, a colossally successful film, a beloved film. A decade later, there is a sequel in the works, isn't there?
1: Yes, I'm working with John Boyega on the sequel, and we've written the story. We're just currently um, doing research.
0: What kind of research are you doing?
1: All sorts of stuff. You know, the idea with that film was to merge fantasy with reality, Mm. like sort of kitchen sink cinema with uh, what's the opposite of a kitchen sink? (laughs) Gold toilet. But fantasy, in the same way that those great '80s movies took. Suburban reality and then threw in a dash of high fantasy. So the fantasy stuff I'm quite good at making up but the reality stuff it's very important to do our due diligence on and we did a huge amount of research um, for the first movie, you know, going to try and find the equivalent real people who were like the characters in the movie and talk to them and talk through the story and find out how they would react to certain situations then... Make sure it's all as um, real as possible. So we do. So we got the storyline, and we're doing that process, and then from there, we'll we'll we'll
0: construct the script. You know what's it like behind the scenes when you've got a a prop an intellectual property like that, which is quite a weighty one. Do film companies do investors? Do people come to you with the idea of doing another one? Do you, you know, do you have very, very, lots of high-level meetings about funding and stuff like that? Is it very Byzantine, difficult sort of process to get to the point where it's actually in the cinema?
1: Well, yeah, I, I have a very brilliant producer called Naira Park who produced all of Edgar's films, and I knew Edgar because he was making Space at Channel Four while we were doing the Adam and Joe show, so we met. During that period, and so obviously Edgar had a bunch of movies under his belt before I made Attack the Block. I knew him, I knew his producer, That's and so I bought them the idea when I had that idea. And so she does all of that. Oh, good. But because, you know, John Boyega hadn't ever been in front of a camera when we were lucky enough to have him come and audition for Attack the Block. And since then, obviously, he's become right. very well-known and a, a real asset, you know, so... We're very fortunate that he you know is so into it. So, yeah, I don't know. basically is the answer. Mm. We you know we you you can't think about that when you write yeah. the script. You're just trying to, i you know sit at home with the curtains closed, you know, trying to think up uh, a really good film and then and then I'm lucky to have other people who are more experienced to help guide it through that process.
0: what is your what is your creative process? if you were to take me through an average day?
1: Well, if it's a first draft, then it is good to have a, like a target, if you're on a deadline, a target number of pages. But yeah, I'll, I'll get up, I'll have breakfast, and then I have to have everything very tidy before I start. <laughs> so I might do a bit of hoovering, a bit of washing up. Seriously, I've got to have, I, got to, I can't have shit that needs to be done. So
0: is that part of not necessarily a, a classic writer's procrastination, more of a... I need my workspace to be tidy so that my mind's tidy. And also, you'd
1: be amazed how that's often when you have the ideas. Mm, When you're doing the mundane things. Yeah, do you not find that? When Mm -hmm. you're sitting actually looking at the laptop, that's that's literally like there's a cork in the bottle. Yeah, the thing is turn away from the laptop, do something else, think about something else, and then don't think about something else, do something else, but be thinking. Talking to someone else is also very, very useful if you get blocked. Just pick up the phone and say to someone you trust and and say the problem out loud and sometimes you'll just see, what the fuck was I, what was the problem? And then you go to your word processor and it's already in your head and it's just a question of actually typing it. So I think you just have to avoid staring at the screen. Uh, in that sort of awful exam situation, yeah. <laughs> Almost Another like thing,
0: a, a sort of film, a writer in a film.
1: Yeah, you can't possibly be creative staring at that white, weird white light. The other thing I do is put on a, I project a movie, I put on a movie mm. and don't really pay 100% attention to it. I let my mind wander about my film. There's something about having the idiom of cinema happening That's nice. and then zenning out over it. I did that the other day. I stuck on the city of lost children, uh, and just which is quite a sort of weird elliptical film, and just let my fil- my mind wander. And about ten minutes later, I had a I had the scene.
0: So so, uh, I'm a great. I, I sound a little bit like the kind of person who sells candles in Glastonbury now, but I'm a big believer in the cars mask now. Um, we're getting to the end don't worry don't panic you're not going to be trapped for too much longer a couple more questions before we get to the big one do you miss performing in front of the camera I know that you've said before you found it quite uncomfortable a lot of the time certainly watching yourself like a lot of performers do but I, I see you more as a as a writer as a director now somebody behind the camera. But do you miss sometimes being in front? Not really. Def?
1: I miss the audience we had on Six Music. I miss that audience interaction. Some of them have migrated to my Instagram page. Very uh, <laughs> Joe Cornish Instagram. Very luckily, Mister Joe, miss Mister Mister Joe Cornish, whatever I'm called. Um, but yes, and I'm and I sort of live that slightly vicariously through the podcast Adam and I do every Christmas. We do an Adam and Joe Christmas podcast, so I miss that audience interaction. Especially well, with live an, radio, it, it, it sounds like a cliche, but it is an incredible privilege. Mm. I miss that, but I do not miss the self consciousness. Like, like I love radio because the, there's only your voice, yeah. and then I sort of love directing even more because there's not even your voice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're just a sort of invisible presence.
0: You're like a god, godlike figure, really, just creating a universe.
1: Oh, Well, I love that. You see, I really—that's what I've always done and wanted to do—is create imaginative worlds, whether it was with toys or stupid songs on the radio, or you know, that's what I really love to do.
0: I've got this idea. Maybe you'll be able to help me with it, Job, where we make a film with quite a decent budget as well. I'm not talking about. An Adam and Joe film from nineteen ninety nine. I'm talking mm. a few million quid, a couple of decent actors, and but it's a ninety minute film, and it's a dramatic film, a comic film about somebody taking something back to a shop, or alternatively, um, getting their MOT going in, and they're finding out how much it was, and that we we have to mind that for actual drama, cinematic drama. Are you in? You're taking something back to a shop? I, yeah. Is it no, you're no.
1: You're not getting more specific than that? No, at,
0: this, at this moment, that's
1: all I've got. Have you got the receipt?
0: No. Uh, she hasn't got oh, the receipt. She hasn't got she the receipt. She hasn't got the receipt. That's the concept. Well,
1: that sounds like, I'm in. That sounds like start, the beginning of a Dardenne Brothers film. Mm. It sounds like maybe a Bertrand Blier movie. It's definitely French. French? Or maybe okay. Belgian. Yeah, like starts with a little sort of... Um, little sociological moment we can all identify with and then maybe she does a deal with the shop owner that compromises her and it turns into a twisted romance and then it's a small factory town and there's some big conspiracy yeah no I, i'm i could go with this. so this is definitely like a late 80s uh french thriller distributed by artificial eye I knew you'd understand. Um, it's on at the it's on at the uh, screen on the green, <laughs> and the
0: uh the that one in Baker Street around the corner from Baker Street. <laughs> well, there you go. So uh, October 2024 that comes out, and finally, uh, 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 the headliner. Who are we going to enjoy? Well, listen,
1: you know, I'd like. I'm not going to pick Marvin Gaye because I would sort of have. I'm a massive Marvin Gaye obsessive, so you know, but I don't think I'm going to pick him because I was going to say Marvin Gaye, and then Al Green and Minnie Riperton would Mate, come f- on. Uh, But I just think everyone's probably got Marvin Gaye coming on at their Dream Festival. He's knackered from all the other people who have been on your podcast. So, plus he's very, he was very nervous about performing. Mm. He didn't enjoy it at all. He was very shy. He often wouldn't turn up. He can't dance. He's very self-conscious. So I'm not putting him through it. Good. Instead, I've got the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, Trevor Horn and Dudley, and I've got ABC, (sighs) and I've got, get this, and I've got, the arctic monkeys oh and abc are doing the lexicon of love then with the same orchestra the arctic monkeys are doing their new album the car Ah. because basically that album is an abc album i haven't listened to it yet it's fucking phenomenal but it is basically the new lexicon of love and you know abc who i look this is going back to when i was like 12 11 or 12 i'm still i know every word of that album every single note and uh, as I said earlier on, I did see them perform it live, but a lot of people were shouting Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt strange. Um, so I'd do that again, and then I'd just have the Arctic Monkeys on. And I might also get... I, Trevor Horn would be there. He didn't have anything to do with the Arctic Monkeys album, but he might as well have. Yeah, it's okay. And then I'd also might bring Grace Jones out. And then I might also bring the Pet Shop Boys out to do Introspective. I'm not heavily into all of their stuff and I get slightly bad vibes off of Neil Tennant for some reason. (laughs) I've never met him. I sat near him at a party. and Oh, in fact, I did. We interviewed them at... Glastonbury and uh, Jamie Theekston came and took refuge in our presenting tent, and Neil Tennant just paid no attention to Adam and I. He just directed everything at Jamie Theekston, and ever since then I've resented
0: yeah. him. Yeah, I could, you, I could throw anyway, him he's just like going to come bus. on.
1: I'm not going to look him in the eye, but he's just <laughs> going to play for me, uh, left to my own devices. Oh. So I'm having a big, lush, orchestral, and then Alex Turner's coming on, and they're doing that album. And when I want them to, they're just playing it again. Because wow. when bands do the album, it goes very fast, don't mm. you find? Because mm. they tend to just replicate the track. Yeah, they don't do the concert thing of turning it into Extending a six minutes splurge. Yeah. So I might, ha- I might go. Okay, very nice. Do it again. Make it longer. Yeah, and riff. Oh,
0: I see. So you, you, you yeah, you're yeah, directing yeah. the uh, the Arctic Monkeys performance the next time, sort of.
1: St- yeah. Well, I'm. You said I could have whoever I want okay. with me. So I've got their manager and their producer and people they owe money to with me. <laughs> Their bank managers, maybe.
0: Do it again. Yeah. Or you won't get the loan. But you should listen to that album. I can't wait. It's Only phenomenal. Albums? And
1: you know, I'm not. A, I haven't got any any of their other records but there must be a mirror
0: ball or whatever it's called. The first yeah, that single. was an incredible, uh, that I'd, I I'd mean, played a couple of times fuck. on the radio and just was very impressed by it. I'm surprised I've not gone back to it yet.
1: And the the album is just, and it's got a lot of cinematic stuff in it, yeah. lots of references to um, cinema scope and Right, so far up your street. Uh, yeah, it's got all these, all these filmic illusions in it. But I don't, I've only got one other of their albums, the, the Technicolor Dreamcoat Space mm. Hotel or whatever it's called, oh, yeah. <laughs> which I love as well. But I don't have any of their other stuff but for some reason that album has completely taken me back to the level of obsession that I have I had with Lexicon of Love. That's beautiful. When I was 12.
0: That's a lovely... Not sure they'd be that happy about that. It's the Infinite Toilets Festival, the jazz cafe at the foot of Mount Fuji. Prince Sheila E. Raphael Sadiq doing Sign of the Times weather report with Herbie and Hakim and Pastorius and Zawinul. We've got Prefab Sprout and Orange Juice. We've got Talking Heads doing Stop Making Sense. We've got the Royal Philharmonic to finish with Trevor Horn there and Anne Dudley and ABC and the Arctic Monkeys and possibly Grace Jones and Sly and Robin. I don't know what they're saying. Overwhelmingly brilliant, Joe.
1: Well, thanks very much. It does sound really good. How are we going to pull this together?
0: Well, we've got to talk to you. We've got to get some money men involved, basically. That's where it starts for me. The key is Doctor Who, isn't it? Yeah. Because we, did, we, we to are travelling time, time a lot. We do. We are going to need that. I We're going to need far, it to work properly. It's far-fetched. <laughs> it's very far-fetched. <laughs> That's the pleasure of the fantasy aspect of the lineup. Joe, we can't wait to see Lockwood & Co. Uh, mm-hmm. in its entirety and see how that unfolds mm-hmm. on Netflix, of course, and whatever else happens next. The, the sequel to Attack the Block and all the other things that you must be cooking up. But thank you so much for curating this festival with us today on the lineup, Joe Cornish.
1: Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. And there we have it. Another vintage by which I mean tremendous lineup brought to you I'm so proud to say by Fender's American Vintage 2 guitar range recreations of the most iconic guitars from the 50s 60s and 70s my spiritual home built to all the original specs if it's good enough for Pike Smith just say. head to Fender.com forward slash the lineup to learn more